We're going to hear from God's Word. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we're in James, uh, continuing on in our series in James. Um, And today we are in James chapter 2. I'm going to read from verses 14 through to 26. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Just listen as we hear the Word of God. Or if you do want to grab one, there's actually a a pile of Bibles just outside the, the doors on tables either side. You're very welcome to grab one. James chapter 2, 14 through to the end of the chapter. This is the word of the Lord. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. See, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of God, and we give thanks to to him for it. We're going to come back and think about these uh, words a a little bit later. Let me pray and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you that you speak through your word. And so now we pray you give us ears to hear and eyes that we might see. And we pray that you would change our hearts so that our hearts are desiring not just to hear your word, but also to obey it. And so, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. wonder if you ever met someone who's all talk, you know, someone who's all talk. Perhaps they brag about their golfing ability, and uh, they tell you stories of their hole-in-one their impressive handicap, uh, their expensive clubs. And you kind of get the impression as you talk to this person, this person is quite special on the golf course. And then you join them for a round and you realize that, yes, very special indeed on the golf course because all of the balls end up in the rough. And they're all talk, aren't they? All talk. I remember uh, being on an interview panel at uh, one point. It was the fun side of an interview panel, uh, the side where you get to ask the questions rather than having to answer them. Although 
what was surprising was it was actually quite draining. Um, but one of the, the questions that we asked each of the candidates who faced us was this. Tell us about your strengths, right? Tell us about your strengths. Uh, and I'll never forget one person's answer. Um, because having never held any eye can contact whatsoever the whole time, they continued to look straight at the desk, and they said, I'm really good at communicating with people. <laughs> now, this person had lots of strengths, uh, absolutely. But all of us who were in the interview panel could see that this was not one of their strengths. They said, I'm really good at communicating. Now, I know why they said that. <laughs> Because the position that we were asking them about was a job where they had to communicate with children and young people. And so if you were thinking, what sort of answer do they want me to say? You would say, yes, I'm really good at communicating. But the problem was that the speech didn't actually match up with reality. The speech didn't match up with reality. And so what seemed like the right answer to give actually drew, a, drew attention to something that was really inconsistent between what they said and the way that they actually acted. Now, James, as he writes this letter to the church, he wants to address something which he clearly sees as a problem. It seems that there are people who, who say that they're Christians. They say that they have faith, but it really isn't making any difference whatsoever to the way that they actually live. And so James asks the question, verse 14, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works. Can that faith save him? And you see, the, the question that James is addressing today is, is one that's incredibly important. This is a really, really key question. This is not some sort of secondary matter, the kind of uh, thing that Christians might uh, agree to disagree over and still be able to be united around the gospel. No, this is something that is of primary importance. It's a question of whether you're saved or whether you're not it's really, really important. This is the kind of question that addresses whether your faith means that you're really a Christian or whether you are just saying you're a Christian. If you die, will the faith that you say that you have do you any good? That's the question that James is trying to address. Will this faith that you say that you have get you into heaven? Will it get you to the new creation? When you stand before God, the God of all creation, in judgment, which was mentioned a few verses earlier in the chapter that we, that we didn't read, will the faith that you say you have save you from the wrath of God being poured out upon you? See, this is no minor question. This is a really weighty question. And the ramifications of the answer to this question are so, so important. And so I want you to pay attention to what James has to say. So what about it? Someone says he has faith, but he does not have works. Can that faith save him? That's the question, isn't it? Can it? Can that faith save him? And the answer is this. The answer is no. No. That's the way these questions in the, the Greek, the original language, actually work. The assumption is that they don't need to spell out the answer because it's so obvious. It's so obvious. And to help us then, James goes on to give us an illustration. See that in verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and, um, and uh, one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them things needed for the body. What good is that? 
What good is that? And here's another one of those questions where we're not supposed to need to know the answer written down in black and white because we, we know what it is. The answer is, what good is it? None. None. No good at all. That's what he's saying. And James's illustration isn't something obscure. This was something that was probably seen on the ground. Remember the context of James. Here, uh, he's writing to a dispersed church. People have been scattered because of their faith. They've had to flee. They've had to leave. People have been treated really badly. Financial struggles are a real issue in the congregation. We see that the whole way through uh, the book of James. And the idea of someone needing clothing and someone with a lack of, lack of food, well, these are not just purely fictional ideas, are they? No, these were live needs. As you looked around the congregation, you would see some people who were really struggling. And James says, if you look around the congregation, you see your brothers and your sisters, and you just say, well, I hope things go really well for you. I hope you get fed. I hope you have clothes. And yet, you have the means to be able to step in and help them. Well, James says, if you just say the words and you're actually able to help, your words are worthless, aren't they? They're worthless. And look at the conclusion to this paragraph. It, um, really sums up everything that James is saying here in, in verse 17. He says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's really what James wants you to see here. Faith by itself, if it is not coming with works, is dead. Now, I, I quite like James. Because um, James is the kind of guy that just says it straight, isn't he? He doesn't leave you thinking, what do they mean by that? He doesn't like leave you with lots of riddles, you know, and you think, I'm more confused by the end than, than whenever I asked the question in the first place. No, James tells you really clearly, doesn't he? Really clearly. He says, faith without works is really no faith at all. It's a tragic delusion. It's like one of those um, holiday home scams online that, you know, you, you pay the money, you head off on the flight, you think this is great. You've been telling everyone, you've been showing them all the pictures of this beautiful, beautiful accommodation that you're going to stay to. Uh, and then you, you follow the address and you get to the address and it's in the middle of nowhere and there is nothing there. And you realize you have been scammed. You've talked to people about it, you've told them about it, but it was not the reality. And the kind of faith that someone speaks of without showing any works accompanying it is, is not saving faith at all. It's a sort of story that goes something like this. Are you a Christian? Oh yes, I'm a Christian. I put up my hand when I was six in a children's meeting. I came to the front of the youth gathering when I was 15. I was baptized when I was a baby. I was baptized when I was 36. But I don't, I don't need to listen to God to know how to live now. I don't need to let this faith that I say I have govern how I live. No, no, no. No, I just live whatever way I want now. So you might say they have faith. There does not seem to be any works to show that the faith is really real faith. Faith that is evidenced by the works. You see, there's nothing that we can see with our um, eyes that actually backs up that, that statement that I have faith, is there? It's a bit like saying, I'm really good at communicating. And all those who look on think, I'm not so sure. It's devoid of meaning. Now, James knows some will object to this, won't they? And here's what he imagines that they might say, verse 18. He says, some will say, you have faith and I have works. 
In other words, aren't there different types of Christians? You know, there's the thinkers, you know? There's the thinkers, the ones that want to get all their theology right. And, and then, well, then there's the doers, the doers, you know? Those who act in a Christian way. James, you're, you're maybe one of those doers, but I'm just a thinker. <laughs> I've got it all sorted out in here, but it doesn't actually affect how I live. What does James say? <laughs> James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. By my works. You see, the type of faith that James says is saving faith will always work its way out. Will always work its way out. Verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. See, the kind of faith that you have if you don't prove it with works is the kind of faith that demons have. That's what James is saying, isn't it? The kind of faith that says God is one, theologically, that is, that is one of the key starting blocks to the Christian faith. God is one. Boys and girls, maybe some of you have learned a catechism, and maybe one of the catechism questions went like this, how many persons are in God? And you might be able to tell me the answer. The answer is three persons, one God. Three persons, one God. The oneness of God is really, really important. Theologically, it's really significant. And yet, what does Jim say? Well, Jim says, well, even the demons know that, and they believe it. No one's expecting the demons to be welcomed into heaven, are they? But James doesn't mind hitting us pretty forcefully, does he? Basically, James says, if you've got the kind of faith that's not accompanied by works, well, then it's, it's no better than the kind of faith that the demons possess. Now, do you hear what he's saying? But James assumes, again, that not everyone's going to be convinced at this point. And so he continues, verse 20, he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And it's at this point that James bundles us in the car and takes us on a little road trip. He starts with Abraham. It's an Old Testament road trip. Starting with Abraham, maybe uh, this was in case any of uh, those from a Jewish background were, were wondering, is this a different type of faith than, than our father Abraham followed? Was he a faith-only type of guy, or was he a, a faith-and-works type of guy? Verse 21, was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, Abraham's faith was the type of faith that you could see. It's the type of faith you could see, isn't it? As he packed up and left home, believing God's words to be true, you could see his faith in action with your eyes. As he offered up his son on the altar, you could see his faith with your eyes. You could see that he was seeking to be obedient to God. You could see his faith in action. And James says his faith was completed by his works. In other words, his works were really a, a sign, a confirmation that it really was genuine faith, not just empty words. See, Abraham had faith. It was genuine faith, and it came along with works, and that's what genuine faith 
always does. Genuine faith always comes packaged together with good works. Real faith doesn't come on its own. And this real faith leads to friendship with God. Do you spot that? It's a wonderful thing. (laughs) See, Adam and Eve had enjoyed this friendship with God in the beginning until sin had entered the world. And then their disobedience to God's good words God's good words in the garden meant that man's friendship with God was was broken, and and rather than being friends with Him, the natural position is now one where we are enemies with God. And it's only through faith that we can have this relationship restored, faith in Christ and His righteousness. But if we have genuine faith, then this friendship with God is, is what we get to enjoy. And so I wonder... This morning, is that something that you know? Do you know what it is to be friends again with God? Having been reconciled to Him through Jesus and what He's done on the cross, it's a, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Knowing that God is for you, you're no longer set against Him, but rather you walk alongside Him, you walk with God. Remember, James doesn't just take us to one Old Testament character. No, we're in the car, we're on a journey, and this time he takes us to another Another worked example, this time it wasn't one of Abraham's descendants, but someone who came from outside Israel. It was Rahab, uh, the prostitute, we read about it in verse 25. She's the the one who hid the spies in her roof to save them from the king of Jericho. And her actions showed something. Her actions showed the faith that she had in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. She wanted this God to be her God too, and she was putting her faith in this God and we see it worked out in action. And so whenever the spies came to, to, to her house, she was willing to risk her life in order to save them. And she sends the, the messengers off uh, by another way. In other words, her works showed that she had real, genuine faith, not just empty words. David Gibson, in his uh, book on James, Radically Whole, that's one of the ones that we've mentioned. If you want something to read alongside this series, that's a really good one. I don't know if you're heading off on summer holidays. I know Alistair is. And, uh, you know, take that book with you, read it, okay? That'll be a really good summer read. David Gibson's Radically Whole. But this is what he says. He says, trust in God always leads to service for God. Trust in God always leads to service for God, shown in serving his people. It's really helpful. If we say we trust in God, well then, it should be evidenced in how we care for God's people. As we've been working through this, you might have spotted the word justified a few times in this passage. And maybe you're thinking, Jeff, I'm not entirely sure what that word means. Help me out. Well, really, when we're talking about justification here, we're really talking about how we're made, made right with God, made right with this holy and just God, as if we're seen as righteous by God. Now, it's not that we actually are righteous in the sense that we've never sinned, but rather by believing in and receiving Jesus as our Savior, by being in Christ, we're now seen to be wearing His righteousness. It's as if Christ's righteous robes are put on us, and as God looks at us, He sees the righteous work of Jesus, His Son, As you read verse 24, perhaps you've got some more questions. Questions because this sounds kind of different to maybe what you've heard elsewhere in the Bible and 
what you know about the, the Protestant church and what they hold dearly. Don't we say that justification is by faith alone? Haven't you heard that? Isn't that one of the, the key pillars of what our church believes? And then you, then you listen to verse 24, and it says this, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And you're saying, Jeff, I've got some questions there. Now, I want you to listen to, to Romans. Here's what Paul writes. See if you can spot the difference. Romans 3, 28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And as you hear that, you might think, okay, it sounds like these are saying opposite things. Isn't James saying the opposite of what Paul was saying? Isn't it faith alone that saves? But I don't want you to panic this morning because these two teachings, they, they don't sit opposed to each other if we look at the context. Context is really, really key. You see, Paul is at pains to highlight, as he writes, that it is faith alone that saves someone. This is how you become a Christian. It's faith alone that makes you a Christian. In other words, you can never keep the law well enough to be saved. If you break any of the laws once, well, then you're a, a lawbreaker, not to mention our, our sinful nature. So works in that sense will, will never make you right with God. Uh, and nor is it the case where it's faith and works that saves, as if faith is not enough to justify you, as if you have to bring a, a little bit of something yourself to the table. <laughs> Hence why he's trying to really stress. He's saying it's faith alone that justifies. Whereas James in his letter, he's trying to make the point that the faith that Paul talks about in his letter speaks of the kind of faith that leaves you justified before God, <laughs> the kind that leaves you as a, as a Christian. And he's saying this type of faith, the, the type of faith alone that, that justifies you, that Paul talks about, always comes along with works. You cannot really have saving faith if it doesn't show itself in your desire to want to please the God who saved you. And so that's what he's saying. And so I want you to understand that the context of these passages are really, really key to, to helping us to understand what's going on here. And so they're not two texts that are opposed to each other, but rather we can set them side by side and say, ah, okay, I see what you mean. One is talking about how you come to faith, how you become a Christian, faith alone. But the other is saying that if you become a Christian, well, then you're, it's going to work itself out. You couldn't become a Christian and then not want to live in a way that pleases God. And so as we hear those, we can say, James, you're right whenever you say, you see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And Paul, you're also right when you say, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Both of these sit perfectly side by side. Well, having been given two worked examples from the Old Testament, James finishes by using one last illustration to make his point. Do you spot that? Verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Remember the objection that someone might have? They might say, you've got faith, <laughs> I've got works. As if the two can be separated. And James says that whenever you take faith and works and you separate them out like that, he says what you're left with is the equivalent of splitting a body and the spirit. 
all you're left with is a dead corpse. That's what he says. There's no life. No life. And the reason that someone who says that they're a Christian and doesn't actually produce any good works in line with how God calls us to live, the faith they say they have is not a real faith. It's the same word they're using, absolutely, but it's not real faith. It's not living faith. It's, it's dead. And no good can come from it. And it will not save them. And so I wonder this morning, if I was to ask you a question, do you have faith? Are you a Christian? Are you placing your trust in Jesus to save you from your sin and to bring you into the, the family of God, welcoming you and being friends again with God? If I was to ask you that question, what would your response be? And if you say no, well then, let me be so bold to ask you a follow-on question. Why not? What is it that's holding you back? Because trusting in Jesus is the only way that you can be saved from the wrath of God. Faith in Jesus is the only way to become friends with God. And if you say yes this morning to the question, are you a Christian? Well, then let me ask you a follow-on question. Is there any evidence of good works that go along with this faith that you say you have? And you might want to think about that. You might want to take some time. You might ask yourself some questions. How do I use my time? Does my diary reflect service for God and for his people? What about my money? Does my bank account say this account holder serves God and serves his people? What about my gifts? As I think about my gifts, does the use of my gifts say... I am serving God and I am serving his people. What about your stuff? How you use your stuff? How I use my stuff? Does how I use my stuff say that I am serving God and serving his people? You see, James wants us to examine our lives today, doesn't he? And he wants us to say what we see. Because if we're struggling to find any evidence of works, it could be that the faith that we say we have is not real faith at all. I realized this morning that could be quite an alarming thing to hear, uh, to think that you're a Christian when you arrived at church, and then as you have been examined by the Scriptures, perhaps realizing that you're not. But actually, that is a much, much, much better place to be than to continue on thinking that you're a Christian if you're really not. Because then you can actually deal with the problem. You can go to Christ... You can confess your sin, and you can seek real, genuine forgiveness of sin, actively seeking to live in such a way that shows that he is both your Savior and your Lord, serving him and serving his people. You can make sure that the faith that you say you have really is genuine saving faith, the kind of faith that will do some good. Before it's too late, and the day of judgment comes. But let me also speak today to to the Christian here who has a tender conscience. And maybe you're wondering if you've done enough works. You haven't left home like Abraham and headed off, not knowing where you were going in that sense. You haven't been hiding spies in your roof, and your story doesn't maybe sound the same as Rahab's. And perhaps you've now got doubts. Well, the question I want to ask you is this. Do you see how God calls you to live in his word? And is there a desire to want to obey. 
Is there a desire to want to live it out? Are you taking some steps whenever it's possible to follow God and how he calls you to live? I'm not talking about sinless perfection here. We've been working through Genesis. We know the story of Abraham pretty well. If you know the story of Rahab, you'll know that's not a story of sinless perfection either. But are there signs of genuine fruit? Are there signs of genuine fruit? To be sure, we can all grow in this area, can't we? Absolutely. But James is not writing to genuine believers wanting to leave them despairing of their faith, but rather assured that their faith is genuine so that they continue to work it out, letting their faith govern how they live. We all know people here all talk, don't we? And sometimes we just laugh it off and say it's down to immaturity. But when it comes to faith, it's way too serious to do that. Because real saving faith, the faith that's going to do you any good, isn't just talk. It isn't just talk. No, you can see it with your eyes. You can see it being lived out. Let's pray. Father, as we come to passages like this, sometimes we can feel the scalpel of your word cutting us open and laying us bare. And so we've got big questions to think through. We've got examination to do. And perhaps there's some people here who need to come to you and say, I need to put my trust in Jesus. I'm believing and receiving in him for my righteousness because up until now, the faith that I may have proclaimed has not shown any fruit. So Father, might each of us live lives of increasing faith and increasing works to go alongside it that shows our faith to be genuine and true. And we thank you that when we trust in Jesus with true saving faith, then we are welcomed into your family and we are friends again with you. And that is an incredible privilege. And so might we enjoy that? Might we leave skipping, rejoicing with hearts that are full, recognizing what it is to be one of your children, friends again with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.